Hey, good morning, church. Let's go ahead and get our Bibles open. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9 today. You can use the good old print version of your Bible, or you can use the Version Bible app. Just open the app, and you can go to uh, More, and then Events, and then you find New Vintage SD. Uh, click on it, and you can follow along outline-wise, and uh, we'll be on a, a journey together this morning. Uh, I want to just remind you in times like these that what we're doing is, uh, is something that has been going on since the very, very beginnings of the church. Uh, I want you to know that the message doesn't change. It doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter who's communicating the message. It doesn't, none of that matters. What matters is the message itself, which is that Jesus Christ is Lord and that there is no other name uh, under heaven by which we must be saved. So this morning, we're going to get our Bibles out and do that, but I want to let you know uh, just before that about some of the great things that are coming down the pike this week. We're going to try to make some lemonade out of this and try to raise our game a bit in terms of what we provide people uh, spiritually during these times when some of you are locked in your homes and you're, <laughs> you're, you're holding up there with your kids and your kids are out of school and all of that stuff. So we're going to try to provide you something every single day uh, during this. So here's what you can expect. We've got on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you'll get a text and a devotional thought from us. You can obviously reply to stop it if you don't uh, love Jesus or something like that. I'm just kidding, sort of. Uh, you can reply and go ahead and uh, get out of it if you want to, but we're going to go ahead and take the assumption that if you've given us your info or whatever, that during these times, that would be a blessing to you. Uh, so all we'd ask is if you don't want to uh, get them, just you can hit reply. If you do, then we hope it'll be a blessing to you on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, on Mondays, you're going to get a playlist put out uh, by somebody here at NBC that's going to have a collection of worship songs. And uh, our hope is that you will take that and just put it on loop and continue to play those songs as a way of helping feed your spirit. So uh, you can look, be on the lookout for that tomorrow. That's also the day that the videos of the sermon content and the audio uh, podcast of the sermons go up. So you can look forward to that as well. Um, on Wednesdays, you're going to get something brand new, which is a podcast that's going to be hosted by yours truly. And we will, um, as far as the content of that, it'll be mostly ministry-related, uh, Bible-related, and it's something I hope will be a blessing to you as we go through this, so we can spend a little bit more time together if that's something you think would be a blessing. So that will come out on Wednesdays, and then on Fridays, uh, we, will have a, uh, we will have a set of worship videos that we're recording so you can experience uh, the presence of God in that way. So you can look forward to that. So we got you covered, and my prayer is that you will find these things meaningful as, um, as we get going. So let me go ahead and open us with some prayer, and then we'll get our Bibles open to Acts 9. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of uh, worship and the gift of your word. And again, Father, we, we ask your presence be upon us as we study the Bible together. Uh, help us to read this and to understand what you would have us to hear, uh, what you would have us to do and what we have to learn, Father, from this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 9 today. If you were at church last Sunday, uh, you may have heard this, the, what went on in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen is stoned to death. And so because of what he preaches about Christ and his unwillingness to stop talking about Jesus, he is put to death, and when that happens, a great persecution, which is just kind of a fancy word for... Uh, 
uh, you know, uh, tormenting people, just going after them and making them suffer for what they believe, that that happens and people are dispersed all over the place, all throughout Judea and Samaria, in fulfillment of what is said in Acts chapter 1. So if you, um, uh, you know, can think about all the different blessings that go with that, I know at the time it probably didn't seem like a blessing to them at all. It was something that they looked and they go, God, why is this happening, et cetera, et cetera. But what it did was it ended up spreading the gospel throughout the nation of, uh, at the time and all around the world, just as God said would happen. So it'll be interesting to see, just if you think about all the different ways that sometimes um, things like we're going through right now with the COVID-19 stuff and the coronavirus, how God might end up using this and in some strange ways keep, um, keep the gospel spreading throughout the universe, um, whether it's by sending church online all over the world or all these other things. So I'm kind of excited to see what he's going to do. But in the case of, of, uh, of Stephen, that persecution then leads across the world. And you may remember from that story that one of the people there holding the coats of people while they start throwing rocks and bottles at Stephen is a young man by the name of Saul. Now, Saul is public enemy number one. By the time that you get to Acts chapter 9, there is nobody that the church fears more than Saul. Saul has escalated, and every time he's mentioned, his behavior escalates. It goes from he's there to he's there and he's holding their coats, and then he's not just holding their coats, he's participating, and then he's not just participating, he's leading these things. And so Acts 9 tells the story of his meeting of Jesus on the Damascus road. He meets Jesus as he's heading to Damascus to further the persecution of Christians. So Acts 9, uh, verses 1 to 9, tell the story. And there he uh, is on his way on the road to Damascus, and suddenly a light comes from heaven, a blinding light. Then it's followed by a voice from heaven that it, I can only imagine would have been absolutely terrifying. It terrifies him enough that he calls out, Who are you, Lord? Like he knows this must be the voice of God. Blinding light, big voice. And so Saul falls to the ground, and he hears a voice from heaven say to him, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Now, incidentally, that's one thing to notice. You persecute me, and Saul's response is, who are you, Lord? He doesn't know precisely who it is. And then Jesus responds, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men with Saul are terrified. They hear the voice, but they can't see anyone. And so they have to lead him by the hand to Damascus. And so for three days, Saul is there, and he's blind. Meanwhile, God taps a man by the name of Ananias, and he asks Ananias to go and find Saul. Now, Ananias knows Saul's reputation. He knows that he is public enemy number one of Christians. He knows that, uh, he knows that uh, Saul has gone around helping murder people, helping hold jackets for people that are throwing rocks and bottles at people in order to kill them. He knows that Saul has gone around breathing out uh, murderous threats, it said. Uh, and so he has no desire really to let Saul even know where he is, much less go to him and try to help him, try to heal him. But that's the task that God gives him. So picture yourself being Ananias and somebody that's really hurt you or those you love or somebody who stands for everything that, the, against everything that you are for. And God's task is, I want you to go see them, 
and you think to yourself, hey, I could be in danger here. Hey, this guy's responsible for the death of some of my friends or some of my, in some cases, and not, maybe not in Ananias' case, but in the case of others, uh, my spouse, my children, my whatever, have died at his hand. And you want me to do what? So he sends him to Ananias, and he goes anyway because servants of God uh, who are actually servants of God will obey the voice of the Lord regardless of what the task is. Ananias goes. God says to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So Ananias goes, and it says he, he lays hands on him, and he says the most interesting thing. I can't imagine how weird it would be for Ananias to say this and for Saul to hear it. He says, Brother Saul, brother, brother Saul. Now imagine you're Saul, that has to be a very odd thing for you to hear. Brother, to hear a Christian call you brother, and it had to be weird for Ananias to say too, right? Brother Saul, to embrace him in that particular way. So Ananias says it, Saul is healed, and from that point on, Saul goes about preaching the gospel. Now, if you hear me use the terms uh, Saul and Paul, they're the same person. There's no big name change like there is, for instance, uh, in the case of, of uh, Jacob or, or places like that. This is just simply, they're used interchangeably. He's referred to as both. So if I say Paul, I mean Saul. If I say Saul, I also mean Paul, okay? So Saul gets up, and he stays there in Damascus, and he just starts preaching. I mean, he just, he just takes off, I mean, hits the ground running, and he just goes around preaching the gospel of Jesus wherever he goes. And everybody finds it, just like, like you probably would, they find it extremely odd, very strange. Kind of like the bearded woman at the circus or something. It's kind of like you look at it, you're like, that's ah, kind of cool, but I, this doesn't make any sense to me. This just does not compute. And so he's, they're watching him from a distance. They're still probably a little bit afraid of him, and they're waiting to see, is this actually genuine, or is he setting us up for something? Is he just using this as a way to get inside and figure out where we are? And one of the things you'll notice is that if you look at this particular account of Saul's conversion in Acts chapter 9, the emphasis that Luke, who, who's the author of Acts, puts on it is to talk about the impact of the conversion of Saul on the church. This is not an individual phenomenon. It's not that Saul is converted and uh, it's this little moment in Saul's life. It's certainly a moment. It's a big moment. But the emphasis is on the struggle that the church has to accept him. And I think that's very important because it raises all sorts of questions about us and about how we do with this and how we accept people who come to faith maybe very suddenly when it's a very strange thing for us. I don't want to make the early church or the apostles or the disciples seem unspiritual or like they lacked anything. I, I think they're right on track. I probably would have felt the exact same way. It would have been a strange, strange sight to see this guy who's gone around murdering people and, and helping lead their persecution all of a sudden now going around and just like on a dime, he turns around and now he's out preaching the gospel. I mean, they like what they see, but man, it's strange. I mean, it's like, like, like Rush Limbaugh and Nancy Pelosi dancing together or something like that. You would look at it and you'd go, that's interesting, but you have no idea why they're doing it. You'd have a hard time believing your eyes, actually, at the time. You, wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you would just kind of wonder to yourself, okay, what in the world just happened here? You'd doubt it. And so poor Saul is stuck here in this weird spot where he's got conversion, but he doesn't have acceptance yet. 
He doesn't have any acceptance yet. I mean, uh, the only thing modern day that's even come close to this in my mind, and, and really it's not uh, a great parallel, but uh, when Kanye West became a Christian, there are still people who are like, yeah, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. We'll see how genuine this is because they watched his former life and it didn't square up with Christian values, and then he came to Christ, and he was like, yeah, sure, he's just doing this to dodge, it's a tax plan for him, or it's this, or it's that, or we'll see, we'll see how, how long this lasts. Well, in the case of Saul, it wasn't just he lived one way and now he's changed, it is he was the actual representative, the head of the spear of persecution of Christians in the ancient world, and so when he changes, Ananias and the disciples the apostles, everybody has a hard time with this. So I want to read to you Acts 9, 21 to 22. You can follow along on the, on the Bible app or in your Bible. All who heard him, so when they're talking about Paul's preaching, all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? And didn't he come here to arrest them and to take them in chains to the leading priests? But then it says, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. So people are kind of disillusioned. They don't know what to think. They have to admit it. It walks like a duck, talks like a duck, and he is a fierce uh, representative for Christianity now to the point that people are having a hard time standing in the face of his arguments for how Jesus was the Messiah. It's already obvious that if this new faith of Paul's isn't just a, a sham. They can see this guy's going to be one big, awesome zealot for the Lord. He's going to be just as amazing of a Christian missionary as he, will be a per, as he was a persecutor. But they still aren't sure if they buy it. So in Acts 9, chapters 20, uh, verses, chapter 9, verses, 20, verses 26 to 31, I promise I use words occasionally. Here we go. Uh, here's what it says. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem... Get this. He tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. Can you imagine that? Going into church for the first time thinking everybody's going to be happy to see you, only to realize that they're all terrified of you and how that must have felt the day he walked in for the first time. Now think about this. He's walking into a room where almost unquestionably there are people there who had lost loved ones because of Saul. And so now he walks into the room they didn't believe, it says in the text, that he had truly become a believer. And then verse 27, Barnabas steps up. And it says, Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Barnabas shows up and says, hey, I saw him. Uh, I've, I, I'm, I can bear witness to what this guy has done says in verse 28, So Saul stayed with the apostles and went around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. Now you know he's a Christian. Because when people start trying to take you out, you know that you are actually really preaching the gospel. So the guy who had once tried to murder others is now being sought. His life's being sought. Verse 30, when the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea, and they sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. And the church then, I love this verse, verse 31, the church had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. 
So Saul goes from Damascus, right, where the Damascus road, he's on the way there. He goes there, he gets healed. Then he goes from Damascus to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles, and they're very skeptical, to put it mildly. But Barnabas is with him, and he says, hey, I saw what he did in Damascus. This is for real. While he's there, Paul starts preaching, and people try to kill him. And that's, I think, when they know, okay, he's not doing this for show. He really means this. So let's uh, take a few applications here, and then the sermon will be yours. One of the things I think we can take out of this text is that today's long road, if you will, might lead to Damascus. If you're struggling in life, or you see people around you that are struggling in life, just because today is not their day, it doesn't seem, or it seems like they are rebelling against God in a very profound way, whatever road they're on, it could be Damascus. If you, somebody you know, is rebelling against God, you might just be on the road to Damascus. You might just be getting to hear the voice of the Lord himself. And if you do, please listen. Please listen to that voice, just as Saul does, and it changes his life for the better. So just because you have somebody that's wayward, or if it's you yourself, and you think, I'm so far away that God couldn't reach me, nobody really gets further away from God than Saul, who's actually proactively trying to ruin the mission of God and to kill people that are out there believing in the Lord Jesus. God can reach you wherever you are. Number two, we never know who somebody can become. This is true. We are not better judges of people than Ananias or the apostles. They looked at Saul and they had difficulty believing and accepting that he was, in fact, converted. They they had a hard time believing in what God wanted to do in his life. Now, we're not particularly good judges of character. We misfire on people all the time. When we were living in Houston, my wife and I, uh, I have a particular passion for what you would call lawn care. I love grass. I like making it look great. I like making it look green. I like uh, it being cut at the right height. I like there being no spots in it. I don't like holes in it. I like making my yard look like Augusta National. Okay? I love it. They have companies in Texas because mold is a real problem and it kind of burns holes in your grass. They have these companies that are chemical companies, and they, you hire them, they come out, and they spray things uh, on your grass to kill the mold, make sure that it stays nice and good. My lawn didn't need that, because my lawn is awesome, okay? I think that in some ways, sometimes I can actually just look at a lawn, and it becomes greener, okay, in my mind. So if you need my help, you can come, and I'll, I'll come to your house and stare at it, and it might just get greener on its own. But I know how to take care of a lawn. It was flawless. My wife She's watching right now. God bless you, honey. She, she thought I was overwatering the lawn and said we need to have True Green come out like everybody else does. That lawn, there was nothing wrong with that lawn. It looked perfect. She's from Oklahoma, you know, so I don't even know if they have grass there. But if they do, it's like I, I was thinking to myself, well, you know, if a cow poops on the lawn, then I'll get your advice. Right now, I've got this, right? I was a young married guy and didn't know any better at the time. So we get there. She makes the call to True Green. And she says, come on out and fix our lawn. One day we get home, we hit the answering machine button. This is back in the days of answering machines. Uh, if you're a young person and you have no idea what an answering machine is, find an older person and ask them what it is. It's basically like voicemail out loud, okay? You'd go in your house, you'd hit the button, and it would play it out loud inside your house. We go in one day, we hit the button, beep, and there's this 
I love this. I saved it for a long time. They go, hello, Mr. Spivey, this is True Green Kimlon. Whoever is taking care of your lawn is doing a spectacular job. And we think that you're doing a great job. If tr any trouble does arise, feel free to give us a call back. But your lawn is, in fact, flawless. And so I did that and waited till Emily got home. And then I love to hit the, hit the button and play it. So almost any time for about a year that we would get in a fight on almost anything, I would just cue it up and I would be able to hit the play button. <laughs> I love... Um, this thought that we can sit there and look at the garden of God and actually make judgments about how it grows. Jesus tells a parable. It's called the parable of the weeds. A lot of people haven't read it before. It's much less familiar because I think the message of it to us is a little bit confusing. But I want to read it to you and just use this, uh, apply it to Saul and his story as well. So this is Matthew 13, verses 24 to 30. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came, and he sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he said. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, get this, while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at that time I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into the barn. Okay. The world is God's yard, if you will. This parable is about pulling weeds and why we're told not to do it. Why we're not supposed to look at people and try and say, okay, they're a lost cause, they're a weed instead of wheat. Jesus says, you guys aren't very good at telling the difference between the two. Instead, let this whole thing play out. Let God work in people's lives. Give uh, God the time to work in the lives of people. And at the end, we'll see who the weeds and the wheat are. But don't go around pulling weeds. It's God's yard, and you're going to pull up both at the same time. You're going to get them confused. I have no question in my mind that if the early church had gone around pulling weeds, the first weed they would have pulled would have been Saul. He was the bad tooth. He was the definitive weed in the garden. So we see ourselves sometimes in God's yard as though we're the ground crew. And he says to us, don't, don't pay any attention to the weeds. Leave the weeds where they are. Why? Because we can't tell the weeds from the wheat. And we, we think we can. I think just like Ananias and just like the apostles and just like the disciples thought, no, 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 this can't possibly be true. No, 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 not Saul. Not Saul. There's no way that could be the case. And God says this in this story today in Acts 9. He is my chosen vessel to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. So what they thought was a weed, if you will, is actually God's chosen vessel to the Gentiles. So, if you've been out in the yard pulling up stuff and you pull up the wrong stuff by accident, you pull up uh, your wife's rosemary when you thought it was a weed, you know what I'm talking about. It's the illustration that Jesus gives for how we deal with people. And we often make the mistake of thinking that, there are, that a person is too far gone, that God can't do anything with them. But we just don't know. And Saul is a great case in point of this. What the disciples would have weeded out, God chooses to make a centerpiece on his dining room table. Number three, Jesus pursues people with, with us and without us. 
and he never stops. So, in the case of Saul, let me ask you this. Who converts him? This is one where Jesus says, I got this one. And he directly engages with Saul on the Damascus Road. You may have people in your life, or it may be you, and you think that the person is too far gone. But here's what I want you to know. God is never going to stop pursuing you. doesn't matter how far you run. doesn't matter where you try to hide. He will find you there, and he is going to continue to pursue you. He'll try to pursue you through your loved ones, uh, through the church, through circumstances, through all of that. But he will continue to pursue you. And sometimes he uses us in that process. I mean, the book of Acts is full of stories of people reaching out to others. Next week, we'll talk about Philip and his encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch. That's an example. But sometimes, and I think this is important for those of us who are estranged from people that we care about, that God never stops and that he can reach people with us, he can reach people without us, but that he never stops. C.S. Lewis once called him the hound of heaven. He was like a bloodhound going around and just sniffing around and chasing and hunting, in a, in a, of course, in a very redemptive way. So let me ask you this morning, as we head toward the communion table, how far do you think God's grace goes? How far do you think God's grace goes? Is there somebody that you believe is outside the reach of God's grace? Can you imagine with me for just a moment how literally the entire world would be different if the apostles and others had refused to accept it? If they just simply locked him out and said, sorry, you can't be a Christian. Sorry, you can't come in here. Sorry, sorry. The entire world as we know it would be different and it would be worse. But because of their willingness to embrace grace as far and wide as God does, Paul goes from the greatest persecutor of the church in world history to the greatest missionary in the history of the church. So there's hope for you this morning, and there's hope for your loved ones this morning, and I hope that now, as we prepare to take communion, we'll be mindful of Jesus who meets us on the road, the Jesus who gets in our face, whether he blinds us by the light, or whether it's his still small voice calling out to us, or whether he uses one of his people to reach us, that this morning, wherever you're at, that you will remember that you have a God who loves you.